coming up in this week's episode of Deleted Scenes. Sam Raimi is a lunatic, but he's a cool lunatic. <laughs> it's a very complex storyline, the story of Sonic the Hedgehog 2. There's a lot of body parts. There's, there's a lot of body parts. I am a connoisseur of shitty video game movies, I'll have you know. Not attached to the bodies, just body parts in general. It is just straight up The Lion King. With a lot more violence and nudity. No! This is not how it's supposed to go! Hello there, I'm James, and welcome back to Deleted Scenes, a show where we talk about movies to a wall and sometimes guests. Right, so, this episode, we're going to have a bit of a catch-up because I've seen a lot of films and I haven't really been talking about them on this podcast that I made specifically to talk about films on. <laughs> so, I thought we should rectify this by running through a couple of the standouts from this year. But before I get started, I want to read something. I want to read the opening paragraph for one of the films I'm about to talk about because... I think it'll set the scene for this podcast rather nicely. So, without further ado, let's get into it, shall we? Hear me, Ofen, all father of the gods. Summon the shadows of ages past, when the tread-spinning Norns ruled the fates of men. Hear of a prince's vengeance, quenched at the fiery gates of hell. A prince destined for Valhall. Hear me. Right, now that we're all in the mood, let's talk about Sonic 2. <laughs> yeah, did you ever actually watch that? Because I went and saw Sonic 2 on a whim because a couple of friends wanted to go and see it. And uh, I didn't know if it would be any good because I hadn't actually seen all of the first Sonic movie. I sort of watched the first half, you know, and then I just fell asleep. The most you really know about that Sonic movie, or at least for me, is simply the fact that they really screwed up the design on the first one. You know, where they had the really weird Gangsta's Paradise, like anatomically correct, weirdly muscular, furry Sonic. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> so I had no idea what this film was going to be like. You know, like it's a video game movie. I am a connoisseur of shitty video game movies, I'll have you know. I have seen Mortal Kombat Annihilation. I have seen Street Fighter, the movie. I have watched Hitman Agent 47 several times, twice in the past like month when I watched it up and back on a plane to France. I watched it both times. Why did I do that? Because it's good. It's 8% on Rotten Tomatoes. I don't care. It is... It's a movie. Probably gonna cover it at some point. But, like, still, video game movies. Not that good, you know? So, going into Sonic the Hedgehog 2 in 2022, I didn't know what to expect. And I was very pleasantly surprised. I really was caught off guard. All of us were. We all just went because... It was just a movie we could go and see, you know? Sometimes you just want to go to the cinema, me especially. I want to go and see a movie. What's the worst that could happen? And then you go and see Space Jam, A New Legacy, and you regret everything. <laughs> so, what's this like Space Jam? No, it was not because it was actually quite entertaining. This film was surprisingly good. It was genuinely one of the best video game movies I've ever seen. I mean, the bar is set very low. Super Mario Brothers the movie. Um, basically, I went in expecting it to be a shitty video game movie, but it ended up being one of the better video game movies I've seen. Because it just... I don't know. It respected the source material and had fun with it. It was its own entity, but it still had all the fun references and everything. Like, it was genuinely very fun. It was the first time in a while, actually, I've seen a family movie that sort of... I don't know. It was fun for all ages, you know? Because, like, you look at Illumination now and stuff like that where... All the jokes are aimed at the lowest common denominator, whereas here, I don't know, I just found myself laughing a lot. The humour was genuinely very entertaining, and it was just, I don't know, it was a bit of a breezy film, obviously, like, 
it's a kid's movie at the end of the day based on a fast blue hedgehog but I really enjoyed my time with it and yeah there's a fair few things in it the main thing I loved in that film was the cast you have Ben Schwartz as Sonic and genuinely is really good as Sonic like he really found that role like he's obviously a big fan of the character and that but he brings like I don't know, a life to the character, a sort of childish whimsy that's quite fun. And he's obviously got the whole 90s edge Sonic thing of like, you know, really cool blue hedgehog sort of fast little guy. <laughs> then you have Idris Elba as Knuckles. <laughs> that completely surprised us all on Twitter that time when that happened, when that was announced. And he's quite enjoyable, honestly. Like, I mean... He very much plays the stereotypical, like, you know, I need to destroy you because, like, my legacy, big crystal, big, big green rock, you know. Um, <laughs> he has to protect the big green rock, or in this case, he has to get it back. And uh, he blames Sonic for that. It's a very complex storyline, the story of Sonic the Hedgehog 2. James Marston's at a wedding, and <laughs> stuff happens at the wedding. There's a dog involved. It's great. They make a mean bean machine reference that sent me over the edge. That was amazing. If you don't know what Dr. Eggman's mean bean machine is, it is one of the greatest Sonic video games of all time. <laughs> Anyways, to make a reference to that, if you want to know how deep cut they are going. But that leads me on to the best part of this whole film, and that is by far Jim Carrey as Dr. Robotnik. <laughs> He is so good in this film. He was genuinely very funny. Jim Carrey, he always throws himself into roles. He never phones it in. And in this case, he very much does not phone it in. The one thing I will say, he looks so much more like Dr. Eggman from the video games. And it's so cool. Like, I remember seeing the teaser, obviously, in the, you know, newer Sonic trailer. Where, at the end of it, for the first Sonic movie, he had the goggles and the big mustache and that. But obviously... He apparently doesn't have that until the very end, teasing the film that I went to see, Sonic 2. And uh, this cinematic masterpiece, you know. <laughs> like, he was just having so much fun with it. Like, that's the one thing with Jim Carrey. He just, like, <laughs> he he makes the character. Like, Dr. Robotnik, he's one of the most famous video game villains of all time. This is Jim Carrey. This is Jim Carrey, true and true, making it his own, much like Ben Schwartz did. He just has fun with it. He's just up and around dancing. He's maniacally evil in a hilarious way. He just... <laughs> he's just... He makes the movie. He very much... I'm about, I was about to say he carries the movie. The movie is good on its own. He just sends it up, you know, to be really entertaining because it's Jim freaking Carrey. And uh, <laughs> he's in a video game movie. This might be his last role. Dr. Robotnik in Sonic the Hedgehog 2. That's another thing. He doesn't do sequels. Jim Carrey doesn't like sequels. He did Sonic 2, baby. <laughs> I hope he comes back for Sonic 3. Because genuinely, I really enjoyed him. All the one-liners, all the jokes. He makes a Do You Know The Way reference to Knuckles. I don't know that anyone noticed that. I sure as hell did. It was so funny watching the after credit scene as well. Spoilers for the after credit scene for Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Shadow? <laughs> anyone? <laughs> At the time that we watched this, me and my friends were knee-deep in Team Sonic Racing. Because <laughs> it was free on PlayStation Plus. And we had a hatred towards Shadow the Hedgehog because he was very fast in his little car. Despite the fact that him and Sonic don't need cars because they can run really fast. I don't know. But, um, <laughs> so even that, I remember even hearing a kid in front of me go, Whoa, Shadow! And it's like, the Sonic Cinematic Universe is happening, baby. 
it's it's really fun it's really it was a fun movie and the action was good the cg was quite good actually i was surprised it was just one of those blockbuster fast-paced funny movies and i just really enjoyed it i've talked about sonic the hedgehog 2 for like six or seven minutes now so uh i don't because i don't know what way i'm recording this i'm recording this part first because i have to get sonic 2 off my chest you know obviously i have to get all this knowledge off my chest next movie <laughs> guys there's something to admit um you know that soliloquy thing at the start that i did um like you know the real epic sounding <laughs> like speech that very much was butchered by my poor delivery and uh, involved like all ofen and princes and vengeance and fiery pits of hell um that wasn't from sonic at all and I, I can't believe I mixed that up. That's that, that's my bad. And I'm sorry for lying to you. And I hope I didn't lose all your trust. And that you'll continue to listen to whatever ramblings I continue to go on to. Yeah, so what is that from, James? Well, me talking in the third person. I can tell you, it is from The Northman. And what is The Northman? Well, The Northman is the best film I've seen all year. Hands down. It just took, you know, two tries for me to realize that but still i realize it now and it is my favorite film that i've seen in 2022 as of may 19th 2022 uh, <laughs> and uh, what kind of film is it james well i will tell you me once again talking in the third person for some reason you better stop that it is a film about vikings and it is made by one robert eggers and uh for many of you, you will instantly know what kind of film I am talking about. But for many of you, you will not know. And you'll be like, hey, James, who is this Eggman you talk of that is not Eggman from Sonic 2 and is, in fact, a different Eggman that is not fictional? Well, it is Robert Eggers. And Robert Eggers is, uh, you know, film man, director, person, boy. And he uh, makes films. <laughs> he makes really interesting films, we should say. He is the guy behind the lighthouse. Now, many of you might know what the lighthouse is. Let me tell you, it is one of the most uncomfortable, scary, disturbing, utterly hilarious films I've ever seen in my life. It is filmed in 4x3, in black and white, starring Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. No one else, just those two, and a mermaid at one point. And uh, they just go insane on the lighthouse. And there is a lot of really trippy imagery and a lot of epic speeches and a lot of tentacles, a lot of, lot of tentacles and a big shiny light that everyone goes crazy over. And uh, also a lot of period accuracy that's really interesting. Like he really gets into that stuff. It's a really weird film and I love it. I genuinely love it. Despite how much it, you know, disturbed me and made me just look at light bulbs differently and squids um <laughs> and willem Dafoe. he's really cool um it's made by that guy and this one has vikings in it <laughs> and i went in thinking okay he was given a much bigger budget look the sides of the screen have been glued back on it's not in four by three and it's not in black and white obviously he has been given a lot of money a lot of budget so that means he has to rein it in a small bit you know not you know do his regular stuff and do a bit more mainstream just to you know standard viking action adventure i guess you know how to train your dragon 2 type thing and um he didn't <laughs> he very much did what robert eggers does best and he made a robert eggers movie <laughs> and hot damn the best review i've seen for this movie is me going to see it with my friend Aoife hi Aoife 
I gotta talk about you in the cinema now. Because me and her, the entire time we watched the film the first time around, we're just swearing in the cinema under our breath. We were just like, oh, fuck, fuck, no, fuck, fuck. And like, uh, I was cursing at the cameraman for pointing at certain things that I will get into. And <laughs> holy shit, guys, this movie. The first time you see this movie, it, oh, it's, uh, it hits. <laughs> and it hits hard with a big pointy Viking axe. And uh, I love it. The first time I liked it, but I felt bad for liking it. I was like, oh my god, that was so fucked up. Why do I like it? <laughs> and the second time around, I'm gonna be honest, I was a bit delirious. I hopped off a plane from getting just back home from France. And I said, you know what, I'm not going to bed. I'm going to watch The Northman again, because I need to figure this out. <laughs> I need to watch it again just to prove to myself that I'm either extremely disturbed or I... I don't know, I'm extremely disturbed, but... <laughs> So I went to see it after a flight and I went and I was the only person in the cinema and I watched it again and I loved it. I genuinely had a great time with it because, right, Robert Eggers, <laughs> as I said, he loves his historical accuracy and he loves tripping the hell out apparently because hot damn, this is, this is Robert Eggers as I said, true and true. <laughs> Let's start with the historical accuracy. This is a brutal Film. A brutal film that does not hold back whatsoever. Sure, he goes for the stuff, you know, obviously, like, the dialect and everything. They speak in very Viking ways. And, like, they pronounce things differently. Like, how we say Odin, but they say Ofen. Like, it wasn't a mispronunciation on my part, thank you. Uh, when I butchered that soliloquy thing. It sounds a lot cooler when it's on the big screen. And there's a big volcano and it's big, you know, Viking man saying it. And not... You know, me. <laughs> but very historically accurate from the clothing to the weaponry to the setting to the art and the statues and all this like imagery of gods and the mythological stuff and all these things. boats. Boats are pretty cool. <laughs> but then on the other side of it, it doesn't sugarcoat anything because hot damn, there is there is some historically accurate stuff in this film we should say between the utterly brutal gore and when i say brutal gore there's like one or two action set pieces in this film like it's like there's a bit where he pillages a village and uh, that's very brutal it's also very cool and that's near the start of the movie and then there is a bit where he there's a few times where he goes and wails on people but it isn't action per se it is just violence and i don't know does that make sense but it is just violent acts rather than big fight scene rah i will say as well it has the single coolest fight scene i have seen since revenge of the sith that is very high praise it looks very similar to revenge of the sith except there's a lot more nudity um <laughs> anyways very historically accurate with like brutal rituals and when they pillage that village there's things they do <laughs> that just make you kind of sink in your chair a small bit and uh, there's a lot of body parts there's there's a lot of body parts <laughs> like not attached to the bodies just body parts in general and uh, there's also all this cool mythological stuff that they obviously would have believed in there's he witches the he witch is really cool and he like <laughs> you know he sits there and he talks he's the guy who actually says that so like why at the start with the cool trochi voice thing and uh yeah there's all these cool historically accurate things that they really put their research into and it really makes the film have such 
an epic scale. Genuinely, there are very few films I can describe as being epic in terms of like Lord of the Rings, I guess. Obviously, Lord of the Rings, that's a that's an epic film, right? That's an epic film trilogy, if I do say so myself. I've only seen it once. Don't tell anybody. Uh, but uh, yeah, this is an epic film in terms of, yeah, you look at even the cinematography and just the the camera work in this film is insane, by the way. Like, the settings are beautiful because it's filmed in, like, Iceland. It's filmed in Northern Ireland, I know, but I know it's set. the film itself is set in Iceland, so I don't know that they go over to Iceland for a bit because there is a big volcano, and I don't think they could fit that in, you know, a booth in Ireland. Just beautiful film, beautifully shot. Like, the scale of everything, just the composition of certain scenes. Like, in a lot of cases, some of these frames are just utter artwork, and it's something that really kind of caught me off guard, I guess, because I was that used to... The lighthouse looks beautiful. The witch looks beautiful. But this is next level, and it is really cool. Um, But yeah, so as I said, historical accuracy. But then he he winds that in. He twists that in with some pretty trippy shit. <laughs> he goes full-on, you know, just drug trip. There are many things he does, whether it's visions of, you know, trees inside people that have a bunch of people hanging out of the tree. It's a people tree inside a person. <laughs> you have a lot of nudity. Like, a lot of nudity. And uh, just some really cool stuff. It is really cool. It's really vivid imagery. It's really visually interesting. It also just happens to be quite disturbing, <laughs> if I'm being honest but in a cool way, because it's Robert Eggers and it's Vikings. This is better Hamlet. This is what it is. It is a better Hamlet. The main character's name is Amleth. If I looked it up on Letterboxd, they just moved the H to the end of his name instead. <laughs> now, the story. Let's explain the story. It is straight up Hamlet. It is just straight up the Lion King, with a lot more violence and nudity. Um, I don't know why I keep bringing up the nudity. It sort of stuck out, you know? And... Uh, <laughs> So a prince, a young prince, his father, Ethan Hawke, poor Ethan Hawke, he gets killed brutally by his brother, the prince's uncle, Fjolnir. <laughs> and Fjolnir, he just steals the kingdom he steals. I forget Ethan Hawke's character's name. So he's just King, you know, Ethan Hawke of the Viking people. And um, <laughs> uh, Fjolnir, his brother, kid's uncle, steals the wife, steals the kingdom, wants the son the prince man boy dead the prince he he escapes on a boat and he promises three things that get repeated in the trailer several times which are avenge father save mother kill fionir it's pretty cool guys and <laughs> it genuinely is it's a simple i will say it does feel like a simple story because it kind of is but the things it sets up it is very very engaging despite easily explained plot he takes this simple sort of plot line and he fills it with loads of nudity and gore and violence and more nudity, a bit more gore. Willem Dafoe pops up for a bit. He does a cool drug trip thing. There are farts. There's farts in the Viking movie. And uh, <laughs> it's really, really fun. It's really, really disturbing, but it's really, really fun. And uh, the cast are amazing. Alexander Skarsgård, he does a really good job. It's just a really pissed off dude that has nothing on his mind. Except vengeance. Picture John Wick, but, you know... Much more muscly and shirtless, and he has an axe and a really cool sword. Yvania Taylor-Joy, she's a veteran of these Robert Eggers films. She was in The Witch, and now she's in this. And she plays a witch. She's Olga of the Birch Forest. And she is so cool. She genuinely was a standout in this film. Because she's just so cunning and smart and sly and just funny. Like, just a badass, honestly, who's just standing up to everyone. It's really cool. And, uh, 
yeah, she was really impressive. I haven't seen The Last Night in Soho yet because it was, you know, it's a horror film and I'm scared. And I <laughs> watched this, so maybe I can watch it because the shit I've seen in this film is... <laughs> the body parts, as I tell you. The body parts. Um, also a Freudian moment, which uh, <laughs> that, that was that was historically accurate, wasn't it, Robert? Um, speaking of Freud, uh, Nicole Kidman, she is really good in this film because uh, she plays the mother and very much a surprisingly great character you think she's a sort of throwaway one but then things happen and she becomes very cool well maybe not cool but she becomes very prominent we should say <laughs> for reasons and uh, just a very impressive performance that really she like nicole kidman just threw herself into you've ethan hawk who is very much only in the film for a bit he's the father but there's a like trippy sequence at the start where he is just really good like i mean i was laughing because he's staring straight down the camera and he's butt naked and he's barking like a dog and stuff but he is just very very good in this film for the little bit he's in it same with uh, willem dafoe he leaves a very prominent sort of i don't know mark on this film despite only being in it for a little bit he plays Hamir the fool very entertaining and uh, I didn't even know it was him until, like, you know, your eyes are focusing. Because his character, he just jumps up at the start. And, like, you're like, who's that? And then you're like, oh, my God, it's Willem Dafoe. Everything makes sense now. <laughs> he made a penis joke. Um, <laughs> then you have Bjork. She's in this film for some reason. And she's surprisingly good, actually. She plays a Norn who spins the fate of our main character. His destiny is determined by her. And she's very threatening looking. And... I'm gonna be honest, you know that Bjork voice that, like, she has, like, a very distinctive voice? It really pays off in this thing, because she sounds so otherworldly, and uh, I think that's the point. And then there's Clay Spang, who plays the main villain Fjolnir. But then, when you think about it, and this is something I came out of the cinema the first and second time thinking about, is he a villain? I mean, of course, like, he killed his brother, he stole his brother's wife, he stole the kingdom, he tried to kill the son, but... As storytelling devices would tell you, even just living in that world, uh, you experience that world, you see the regular shit that goes on there. I mean, is anyone the good guy in this? It's obvious that Amleth is the good guy for us, right? Because it's from his perspective. This story is his story. He is the protagonist. But at the same time, he does some pretty messed up shit in this film, guys. And... Is he as bad as Fjolnir at the end of the day? But when you look at the facts, like, I mean, when he was a prince, his father would come home from slaughtering villages. Like, he'd have chains of slaves, and he would have all the riches that were stolen, and he'd be giving them to his son. And then you even have, like, the pillaging scene. Like, come on. Like, you look at what they did to the people. Like, brutally massacring them, and burning people alive, and a lot more horrible things. Like, in our modern-day sensibilities, they are all bad guys. No matter who comes out on top... People are suffering, and it is terrible. So at the end of the day, like, he killed his brother. But that was just because his brother didn't kill him first, you know? <laughs> and it's a fascinating thing to look at, and that's where I find the historical accuracy stuff very interesting. Because you're just thrown into this world that has completely different rules, completely different morals, if any morals whatsoever. And you have to somehow pick out the hero. That's why they give you a simple story like Hamlet or something like that would have cleared, defined, okay, this guy is a good guy, I guess. Because no one is a good guy here. Everyone is, like, you know, killing each other or throwing people into slavery or stealing stuff or burning people alive. All these different things. Nudity. A lot of nudity, Robert. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, it's just very, very thought-provoking. I say that, it's <laughs> The Northman, it's a very thought-provoking movie, it just also has a lot of murder and Vikings in it, <laughs> and shirtless men, and 
trouserless men. And uh, <laughs> we are going to move on from it. But as I said, genuinely, my favorite film I've seen this year. It left such an impact on me. Sure, there were other films that were very good as well, but none of them caught my attention as much as this one did. Is anyone else just super jaded from Marvel? Because it's finally hit me where I just do not care about Marvel anymore because I always saw Endgame as the Endgame. I always saw it as a full stop and I didn't think there needed to be anything past it. Far From Home, genuinely a really good epilogue, but every movie after that just felt a bit unnecessary. And, I mean, there's arguments for both sides. On one hand, you have No Way Home, you have WandaVision and Loki, Moon Knight, Moon Knight. (laughs) But on the other hand, you have stuff like Black Widow, Eternals, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, What If, Hawkeye. Just a lot of, not even bad, but just dull, forgettable things. And, like, there's such oversaturation in the superhero market still. I am just tired of it. So when I heard Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness was coming out, I felt nothing. (laughs) If anything, I just felt a bit of hesitation. Because if the rumours that Twitter were on about were to be believed, and as we all know, we should trust Twitter, you know, um, we were going to be getting a movie with uh, everyone in it. Because, oh god, I remember seeing a PNG of just a list of possible characters. Even if you googled it at one stage, you were just seeing, like, Deadpool, X-Men, Fantastic Four, Tom Cruise for some reason, Jim from The Office. Just everyone was going to be in this movie, apparently. And I just did not want any of it. (laughs) Because, while a lot of people want cameos and all these things, I did not. I didn't want just a hollow movie. And that's what this felt like it was going to be. It was just going to be hollow. Because while I loved No Way Home, it set a dangerous precedent. It showed that nostalgia is one hell of a drug. Like, you just push classic characters in. People are going to go wild. You're going to get viral sensations. You're going to get people talking about movies for years to come. But, like, at the end of the day, what's the point if there's no meaningful contribution for it? With No Way Home, they did it well. And they had actual, you know, characters. And not just, hi, I'm this person from that movie that you might remember. You know, it was not pause for applause. Because they do that in some of these movies. They kind of do it in this one I'm about to talk about as well. I was worried because it just felt so corporate. And it felt so manipulative. And it just felt lazy. (laughs) In all honesty. So, when you're going in with that information. How are you meant to react? But then I saw it was being directed by the one and only Sam Raimi. And if anyone can kind of just completely flipped the Marvel formula on its head, the same grey palette, quippy humour, CG action movies that we've seen a million times, it would be Sam Raimi. (laughs) Because this is going to sound pretentious as hell, Sam Raimi has vision. (laughs) And before you say, oh yeah, James, you're right, that sounds pretentious as hell, let me explain. His vision involves chainsaw hands and blood and talking elk heads and octopus men, because Sam Raimi is a lunatic, but he's a cool lunatic. (laughs) He knows exactly what he wants, and he is damn sure gonna get it, no matter what house of mouse money corporation he's up against. And then I saw the reviews, and they excited me, because they were 
divisive <laughs> to say the least i was seeing two out of ten i was seeing seven out of ten i was seeing ten out of ten i was seeing respected reviewers i always follow calling it the worst marvel movie ever worse than thor the dark world which in my opinion is still a good movie <laughs> and then on the other hand you have this is the best marvel movie ever watch it so i was going in very excited because i got to make my own opinion because no one was going to agree with anyone so i could you know just do what i want honestly this was one of the most fun movies I have seen all year. It was one of the most fun movies I have seen in the MCU. It was a Sam Raimi movie, true and true. It had all the DNA of his past catalogue in the one film. In a franchise that was bleeding together like watercolours, it somehow stood out from the crowd with a big splash of gore. Because, hot damn, <laughs> this film... It definitely steps away from a lot of standard Marvel stuff because if you didn't know, Sam Raimi, he not only directed stuff like Spider-Man 2, he directed The Evil Dead and The Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness. He, he made Evil Dead and Evil Dead is one of the most campy horror films ever. It combines comedy, it combines disturbing imagery, it just, it combines utter camp, as I said. It is somehow scary, funny and goofy all at the same time. And it knows exactly what it is. It's self-aware. That's what this movie is. He somehow went and made Doctor Strange almost like the Evil Dead. Yeah, let's go into that a bit. So, as I said, horror. This film, like genuinely, I was watching children around me be traumatized because it is dark. It is very gory for a Marvel film, actually. Like, I mean, it's not gory in the grand scheme of things, but for Marvel, there are some things that happen in this film that genuinely, you know, would scare children. <laughs> and it's genuinely a lot further than they normally actually go. You also have, yeah, jump scares. <laughs> he puts in all these goofy jump scares everywhere. And I'm normally someone who hates jump scares. But these were just, I don't know, they were well done. And they were Halloween-y. That's the way I could describe them. Because, yeah, there was a certain vibe. It wasn't actively trying to make you crap the bed or anything it was just meant to make you go sort of thing spook you it was that's what i was trying to do it was trying to be spooky and scary but also not disturbing and uh it worked very well there's a lot of creepy imagery in it like it's all witches and wizards and that so there is a lot of yeah eerie stuff creepy stuff in it and then one of my favorite things it pays homage to so many horror films you look at stuff like, obviously, Evil Dead. It does a lot of spinning camera stuff, which I find very entertaining. There's references to Carrie in this film. Like, so many cool things. And it was just really fun. It was such a change of pace. And it really worked well. Then you have the humour. This film was very funny. Whether it was, like, Wong or Doctor Strange himself. Just having a laugh. Or even just saying very goofy, funny things. Because this film... It was so campy. It was it was Spider-Man 2 levels of campy. Like, it literally has transitions in it there from other Sam Raimi movies like Spider-Man that would not be out of place in 2002. It is so stylized. It is so wacky in a weird way. And it works really well just to sort of, I don't know, give you something fresh, something new, whilst also being nostalgic. To branch off from that, it is so visually cool like so impressive you just have such a distinct style because it is dr strange it's mystical stuff and that, and like multiverse and that and sam raimi goes full on in with this because you have 
all sorts of just cool special effects. You have these destroyed worlds that are like falling apart at the seams, like these universes that are broken on a reality level. You have all these mystical places. You have the different, this one scene where like, just like they go through a bunch of multiverses. They turn into paint. They turn into cubes. They become cartoons for a bit. It's really cool and visually interesting. Then you have like the costumes, like the everything. It's just so bright and colorful. Wanda's costume, it's the one from the end of WandaVision. Looks amazing. Doctor Strange. He looks so vibrant and cool. Wong is awesome. Wong is always awesome. <laughs> then you have stuff like Gargantos. Admittedly, I really wanted Shumagorath. I will never shut up about this. They picked the wrong squid monster, guys. <laughs> but it just was so cool and so vivid and so vibrant and so interesting. It was so visually interesting. It wasn't grey. It was just really, really fun and cool and goofy and wacky and fun, as I said. That's the one word that keeps resounding throughout this whole movie. It was fun. You have even Danny Elfman. He is back. He does the score and it is amazing. Danny Elfman. <laughs> it is really, really cool. And yeah, a lot of split opinions on this film. But I just had so much fun with it. Oh my god. Even just, it does something that the first Doctor Strange I didn't think did. And it takes advantage of the fact that he's a wizard. And it's magic. Like, there is a really cool fight scene in here. Where he, I, spoilers, because I want to talk about this. Two Doctor Strangers fight using music, like musical notes. And they're just firing it back and it's going with the score and the music. And like, just like, it is so visually fun and creative. And you wonder who doodled that and then like made it happen. And then you have a bit where he possesses a zombie version of himself. And he uses a cape made out of the souls of the damned <laughs> these like devil ghosts that are flying around the place he makes them a cape and he flies around with them it's so cool it is so ah it's so cool i'm getting excited over a film i did not give a damn about before i saw it that is how much of an effect sam raimi had on this film and then you have the characters and they're actually interesting you've dr strange who is dealing with the repercussions of the past couple of decisions he made in the past couple of films you have stuff like why did he give up the time stone? Should he have done that? Did he ruin loads of people's lives? Then you have No Way Home, obviously. He kind of opened up the door for the multiverse. <laughs> All these different things that he has to deal with. Even then stuff like a personal level. His failures like in his personal life, just with Christine and just all these different things. Like It is fascinating. It's a genuinely great look at the character. And then you have stuff like America Chavez, brand new character. She can go through multiverses. I really liked her. I really did enjoy her character. I genuinely thought she added a lot because she's something new. She's something fresh. Very funny, but also quite emotional. And just the coolest powers. Like, I mean, she could just, you know, punch it. <laughs> she can literally punch you into the next multiverse. <laughs> it's really interesting. And I think she makes for a great sort of, you know, character for Doctor Strange to protect. Then, spoilers again, you have the main villain, Wanda. Like, I mean... This film does admittedly completely throw out any arguments that were happening with WandaVision of like, oh, is she really a bad person? Is she really a villain? She, she murders a lot of people in this film. She blows up heads. She turns people to spaghetti. She flattens people. She destroys everybody in a very violent, visceral manner. It's very entertaining, but also hot damn, Wanda is pissed off. And her character is slightly flash, just wish, you know, she's very set on no, I want to travel the multiverse so I can get my boys back. No mention of Vision, by the way. Just the boys. But she's very single-minded. And 
it's very interesting. Like, I think this is the best Wanda we've seen, but it is also very cartoony villain. But in a film as campy as this, it works perfectly. <laughs> and then you just combine all of this. You have all the mystical, magical potential of the Doctor Strange world. You have all the humour and sense of fun of a campy movie. You have all the horror elements that just play so well with this sort of darker story. It balances light and dark so well. And it genuinely has been just floating up in my letterbox in terms of, because at first I put it, I think it was around place 13, 14, like, you know, middle of the road. But the more I think about it, the more I'm like, that film did new things. That film did something different. And it just has been slowly rising at the minute. I think it's at like number nine on my rankings of all these Marvel films. It was genuinely one of the most pleasant surprises I have had in a cinema this year. And I highly recommend you go and watch it. You might hate it. Like a lot of people did. But I loved it. <laughs> and I didn't even mention all the cameos. Like that's the thing. Everyone was going in. Expecting loads of cameos. A lot of people came out angry. There weren't any cameos. There was a middle part. Where there is quite a few cameos. That was my least favourite part of the movie. Because you could tell. That was just something Marvel told Sam Raimi. No you have to put this in. The rest of the movie. It's glorious. It's genuinely so much fun. And I. As I said. Highly recommend you watch it. Don't go in expecting oh, look at all this branching cameo stuff from Multiverse and setting up all these movies. Go in for the crazy visuals, the wacky characters, the unsettling horror, and a big green bull man. It's pretty neat. He's only in it for a bit, but he's a big green bull man. I don't know his name, but he was kind of cool. I liked him. Go watch this movie. I'm recommending you watch a Marvel movie. It's kind of strange. <laughs> strange! When was the last time you can genuinely say that a film lived up to the hype for you? Sounds like a simple question. Sounds like it has an obvious answer. But for me, when I think about it, when I really think about it, those moments are very sparse. Very few and far between. Like, for me, most of my favourite films are ones that I was not paying attention to when they were being marketed, and ones I simply went and saw. You look at something like Knives Out. I had no idea what this film was besides a murder mystery. I go and see it, had an amazing time. You look at something like Parasite. I only went to see Parasite because of all the Oscar hype. Wabam, it's suddenly my favourite movie of all time, despite having seen no trailers and going in completely blind. When a film is anticipated, it means it has been very heavily marketed, and you have seen it non-stop for months on end, if not years on end. Just waiting for a movie to come out, pouring over every frame of every trailer, just following every leak on Twitter, listening in and reading every interview that you see from the actors that might... I don't know, just spill the beans a bit more and give you one more morsel of information about this film that you're waiting and waiting and waiting to see. Like, it's not a marketing department's job to make a good movie, it's to promise a good movie. It is to get your ass in that seat. It is to make a really cool trailer with really cool posters that you use as your phone background for a few months while you wait for the film to come out. So that sets expectations high. And if you set expectations too high, they're going to come crashing right back down. And this film I'm about to talk about is one that defied all that. It very much lived up to the hype, and it is very weird to say. It was a film I expected to go in and just say, yeah, that's a solid 8 out of 10, you know? Obviously, it's not going to live up to the insurmountable hype that it has set up for nearly two years. But then I went and saw The Batman. I'm not kidding when I say that Batman reveal trailer from DC Fandom in 2020, I think it was like August or October, 
That is my most watched trailer of all time. And of course, I watch a lot of movie trailers. I watch a lot of movie trailers over and over and over again. But when I say I lived in that trailer for weeks on end, months on end, just immersing myself in it because when I first saw it, it knocked me on my ass. <laughs> it very much caught me off guard in the best of ways because obviously I'd been following any sort of rumors up until that point, any like set leaks, any casting calls and like just any news whatsoever I could get my hands on. So you knew Robert Pattinson was going to be Batman. You knew the Riddler was going to be the main villain. Anyone who knows me knows I love the Riddler. I own his cane. <laughs> I love the fact that a character can be so goofy and funny on one interpretation and a feckin' scary psychopath in the other. And we already got the silly goofy with uh, Jim Carrey in Batman Forever. So I've been waiting for a scary Riddler. And this one was rumored to be very Zodiac Killer-esque. And oh my god, I was just really excited, you know? And like the hype was building up and up and up and up. And then that trailer came out, and the first shot is Riddler taping up a corpse's face. Holy shit. <laughs> that was the first thing I said when the trailer ended. Holy shit. <laughs> this is going to be amazing. <laughs> I fully fell for the hype train. I fully was in from that moment. And, I mean, I went deeper as the trailer went on. Seeing Batman's amazing-looking costume. Just seeing... The crime scene, feeling the new tone, the mood, the darkness, but at the same time the comic book-esque feeling that was there. It was more noir than anything else. It wasn't as much a superhero movie as it was a detective movie with superheroes in it. It was closer in tone to Seven than Justice League. This was something I was so excited for. And then, like, posters came out. As I said, I wasn't kidding when I said about, like, you know, the phone wallpapers. I had Batman as my phone wallpaper for the guts of six months, just waiting for this film. And I just went headfirst in with the hype train. Like, I knew that doing so would just set me up for disappointment because it always does. The higher up your expectations, the much further they have to crash down, you know? But I didn't care. I was like, new Batman movie. It's a detective movie. It's covering stuff that I like about Batman. Not necessarily all the action, but actually going in with the whole world's greatest detective stuff, you know. Showing that off. Giving me uh, one scary-ass looking Riddler, you know. It just... I don't know. It was promising everything that I wanted from a Batman movie, personally. And that was both extremely exciting and extremely terrifying. And then, to top it all off, the film got delayed from 2021 to 2022. Which doesn't help when you are beyond hyped for a film to come out. I'm pretty sure it was on both of my anticipated movie lists because of the delay and such. I've talked about this film a hell of a lot on this podcast, all without having seen it. And now having seen it, I can happily say it somehow reached those heights, those insurmountable heights of that hype that I set. It is one of the best comic book movies of all time. It is only second to The Dark Knight for me when it comes to Batman films. It is unreal <laughs> it knocked me on my ass as much as that trailer did it somehow pulled it off because it is always the case where that reveal trailer any reveal trailer normally gets more emotion out of someone than the full movie because you know it's a much tighter runtime they have to surprise you and you know show you off so much cool stuff in a limited amount of time compared to a three hour long movie in this case like you know 
there's gonna be points where you just drop off right there's gonna be things that don't work out compared to other things because you're not condensing all the best parts into like two and a half minutes and yet somehow the film ended up being amazing anyways and it's amazing to just think of that because I'm not the biggest fan of long movies like I am a strong advocate for a nice clean hour and a half in and out done sorted watched the movie had fun got to go home at a reasonable time like having me in a cinema for three hours you need to make sure the pacing is good you need to make sure that i am kept attentive and that i am engaged the entire way through that there's no lulls because if there is any sort of lull in engagement i'm most likely gonna nod off and go sleep but in this case i wouldn't take out a single minute of this three hour long film and that that says a lot <laughs> and that just shows like the skill of pacing it doesn't matter how long a film is it matters how long a film feels. In this case, every scene felt important. Every moment felt impactful. It felt like it was adding to the story. Every mystery was engaging you because the riddles, you know, you're actively taking part in the investigation, I suppose. The characters, so good, so memorable, so interesting to follow their stories and just sort of see these new takes on these very beloved, very famous characters. As I said, these are some of the most unique versions I have seen of them like you look at Riddler as I said my god that opening scene is one of the scariest things ever like genuinely I was terrified of that Riddler I mean I'll get on to in a minute how he ends up in the end where it was very different but still that opener and every sort of scene with him it felt so eerie it was like Jason Voorhees or Michael Myers just lurking ominously quietly and very efficiently murdering people and just oh it, it was so creepy and just invasive feeling because he could just appear anywhere i saw a youtube video where it's like oh did you see riddler was just there in the balcony or he was in the background there he is everywhere in this film that is terrifying <laughs> not to mention like the scary horror movie villain breathing that he was doing or like yeah as i said the brutal way he dispatched people and just like you know blowing people up and killing people with a carpet tucker like it was oh god you know like he genuinely felt like a psychopath that you were afraid of and that was just exactly what i wanted it was exactly the riddler i had been dying to see on the big screen for years and it just made me so happy and i have to say before i go on i need to mention this now and get it off my chest Riddler just, he, he, he takes a turn in the second half of the movie where he just becomes a Redditor, basically. From the second that he's just like, you know, hi guys, uh, thanks for like, you know, following my videos and like keeping up with the support. I really appreciate it. He just turns into like a YouTuber type thing with like, yeah, 500 followers on Twitter type deal. And it is admittedly hilarious. The fact that I was shitting myself at the sight of this guy in the opening of this film and then there's the prison scene. I'm like I'm gonna be talking about a few like things here and there, but I have to talk about the scene where he's in the cell and he just goes off at Batman like, no, this is not how it's supposed to go. I was wheezing in the cinema laughing. I'm not afraid to admit it. That was just hilarious. Like 
the fact that it just flipped the character to seem so non-threatening out of nowhere. But then, that is exactly what the Riddler is. The Riddler is kind of pathetic when you think about it. He just makes himself look intimidating because he's also a genius. And that's what this film does best. It nails the essence of each character. But it also puts a unique spin on them that we haven't seen in live action before. Robert Pattinson as Batman. Perfect example where it's like, everyone doubted him because of Twilight, obviously, but if you've seen stuff like The Lighthouse, like in my case I have, I knew going in he was probably going to be really good, and lo and behold, he's one of the best Batmans I have seen in cinema. <laughs> like, his character very much takes inspiration from Batman Year One, I'm reading it at the minute, very good by the way, highly recommend. He is a younger, less experienced, far more brutal version of the Batman that we are used to. Like, Everything about this Batman, in this case, he's just starting, basically. He's only been at it for, like, a year or two. Like, the Batmobile, it's just a souped-up muscle car that looks really, really cool, mind. But it is just a muscle car. It's not a tank or a glow-in-the-dark, you know, whatever the hell was in Batman and Robin. <laughs> His suit, it isn't some fancy-looking military-grade armor. It isn't the Bat-nipple suit, whatever the hell that was. It is a suit that has just been thrown together like it has noticeable stitching on the mask and such it has just regular combat boots that aren't necessarily fitted for the rest of the suit like he is a long way off the batman that we are used to like he still has quite a lot of learning to do and robert pattinson is the glue for all this that brings everything together he accentuates every great thing about this interpretation of batman he perfectly plays bruce wayne and batman as like this brooding broken man who is just trying to find his way in the world, I suppose, and trying to do good by his parents, who were brutally murdered, obviously, and trying to just fix the terrible place that is Gotham. And obviously from this arises all that anger, arises all that hatred for crime and just brutality, as I said. And it's just such an interesting journey to follow him on. And as I said, it is a side of Batman that I was very happy to see on the big screen, finally. Speaking of finally seeing certain sides of Batman on the big screen, this film perfectly encapsulates my two favourite things about Batman. It finally just, I don't know, gets them exactly how I would imagine them in a movie. First off, Batman is one scary dude when you think about it, because let's look at it from the side of the criminal, shall we? You're out, you know, having your little night of crime, having a good old laugh, robbing places, killing people, all stuff, you know, normal stuff. And then out of nowhere, a guy dressed as a bat drops from the sky with all these gadgets, beats the ever-loving crap out of you, leaves you in a heap on the ground, and runs off into the night. Like, completely out of the jurisdiction of the police, completely abiding by his own rules, his own sense of justice. That is terrifying. And this film's opening in particular perfectly shows this from the perspective of the criminals. It just shows the light, the bat signal going into the clouds, and this whole opening monologue, which is amazing, by the way, just about how that's not just a call, it's a warning. Then it just shows the criminals looking up at the sky and seeing that warning, seeing that bat signal, and being terrified by it, looking into dark alleyways like a child would look down a dark hallway at night, thinking that there's a monster there ready to just eat them, or in Batman's case, kick the ever-loving shit out of them. Like, it perfectly encapsulates that. Like, fear, that anxiety, that utter terror that Batman is looking to create in the hearts of criminals. It was, it's just so good. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> I, I love this movie, guys. <laughs> and then on the other hand, we finally have a detective Batman. We finally have 
his intellect being shown on screen properly and his process of investigating, you know, it's very engaging. Obviously, it's been shown before in bits and pieces, like you obviously have like the Dark Knight films and like there was the Scanny stuff there, I suppose. But I've never seen a Batman detective film up until now. And in this one, you're just following him along on this trail of grisly murders. You know as much as he does. You get to solve the riddles as he does. You are never out of the loop. That's what makes a good mystery. As I said, Knives Out, really good murder mystery. And it's the exact same principles here, where you're just engaged the entire time, seeing everything unravel, seeing the investigation, seeing where it goes, following treads, trying to figure it out. And as I said, that's what one of the best things of Batman is, is the fact that you are following him on investigation, seeing his process of which he breaks things down. And as I said, eventually comes to a solution. And finally getting that on the screen is so cool because it balances out all the brutality, I suppose, of this Batman. Because, like, he is a very violent Batman. And, like, of course, everyone knows him as a superhero that goes around at night in a cape beating up people in very brutal fashion. But, yeah, as I said, just to show that side of him, show the side of him that is the investigator. And show how engaging he is as a character himself. It's just really good to see. And that's why I was so excited that the Riddler was the main villain, because it was less of a battle of fists and more a battle of wits. Like, it was a game of cat and mouse. One goes to a crime scene that was caused by the other. There are letters being passed across, like, all these games that they're playing with one another and just trying to catch the other person. It is just, it's so investing. As I said, it's very Seven. It's just seeing that, like, almost dance between the two characters, this interplay of just intellect and just trying to beat the other one mentally. Like, it's so much more interesting than a flashy fight scene. And the fact that they got it right just made me so happy. And then this springs off into the whole story of like, both of them are very similar. Both use very brutal methods to achieve their idea of justice. And you have to question, is one better than the other? Is the Batman as bad as the Riddler? And like, it's just such a perfect dynamic, and it wouldn't have been possible at all without this detective Batman. This Batman with intellect that can go up against a smart villain like the Riddler, that can, you know, decipher everything, investigate further, and bring you along for the ride. And it results in just next-level immersion in the world of the film. You are actively a participant in it, and that just can't be replicated with some flashy fight scene. That is why I am just so happy that it is more a detective film than a superhero film. It just gets the character. And it's just this fundamental understanding, this care about these characters and the original comic book material that makes it such a good adaptation because, I don't know, this film just gets the strengths, the weaknesses of these characters, what makes them great and what to focus in on. And it just creates such an amazing film. And that's without even mentioning the fact that this is the greatest interpretation of Gotham I have ever seen. It hits the perfect balance of gritty realism whilst also being comic book-esque. It still has the style, I suppose, because it isn't just Chicago like The Dark Knight. It isn't these gothic towers from the Tim Burton-esque films. Instead, it is the perfect mix of just dark buildings with bright, striking neon and just making for like a unique looking setting that 
is inherently Gotham, inherently Batman. And I think that's the perfect summary of this film. It is inherently Batman. The film understands the need for a balance of tones. It understands that Batman is in one note. He is very much a nuanced character. On one hand, the film is very serious. On the other hand, it is very much a superhero escapism movie. In some cases, it is hyper-realistic. In others, it is very stylized, like a comic book. The film can be dark and gritty, but at the same time, there were moments where I was laughing, whether it was intentional or not. A film like this only comes around once every couple of years. Like, to be such a perfect adaptation, to capture the essence of a character so brilliantly on the big screen whilst also giving them a unique spin, making them stand out. Like, the last time something like that happened for me was back in 2017 with Logan. Like, it is an event when this happens, and as I said, this is one of my favourite comic book movies of all time now. I cannot wait to watch it again. Not forgetting the fact that it is equally rare because it lived up to the hype. I went in with very much unreasonable expectations that were very much set up by the marketing team for Warner Brothers. They had it coming that I was going to be disappointed by this movie. And the fact that I wasn't, the fact that it followed true on all of these promises, every last one of them, that doesn't happen. <laughs> that straight up doesn't happen. I've seen so many trailers where 90% of the footage in them just doesn't appear in the movie. Artemis fell. What a load of shit. <laughs> I had to mention that in there somewhere, didn't I? But no, it is a feat that this has happened, that it went so well. <laughs> and it sets a dangerous precedent for me because it means that, hey, I can get hyped for films again. Does this work? No, because 90% of films that hype you up are most likely going to let you down in some way. But this one didn't. So, those were four films that I've seen over the past couple of months. Uh, I just wanted to do this little episode, just get back into it a small bit, uh, do a little catch-up, a little fireside chat where we talk about Naked Vikings. And uh, this was really fun. I hope you've enjoyed it. I certainly had a nice little time just sitting down and reminiscing about some films I'd seen. These aren't all the films I've seen this year. I've also seen some really good ones like Belfast, which made me cry. It's a masterpiece. Fresh. Completely threw me off guard. I highly recommend watching it. It's a very interesting rom-com. I was even at a preview screening for The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which was such a cool experience. That's a bucket list thing. I managed to just win tickets and got to go there at the lighthouse and stuff. And just, that was a pretty fun film as well. There's even films I haven't seen, like The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, Everything Everywhere, All at Once, Morbius. <laughs> I'm seeing Morbius at some point. I need to see it. I need to see how bad it is. I need, I need morbid time. Yeah, genuinely, this year is going to be exciting, I think, for cinema. Like, even stuff like Top Gun. The trailer for that looks amazing. George Miller just revealed 3,000 Years of Longing. That looks wild. That looks definitely from the guy who made Mad Max and uh, Happy Feet. <laughs> even there today, we got the trailer for Tor 4, which looks unreal. That completely breaks continuity, by the way, because it's very clear now that I'm recording this outro on a different day to when I recorded. Woohoo. But, uh, editing. <laughs> but no, even that. That is a Marvel film that I'm genuinely excited for now. Like, Christian Bale as Gore the God Butcher. Looks so cool. Taika Waititi, he is definitely just making his movie. It's very much the Sam Raimi case again, where he is making a unique Marvel movie. That looks so good. So I'll have a lot to talk about. <laughs> so this will be interesting, to say the least. And, uh, yeah, I won't hold you any longer. I hope you've had a nice little time. So thanks very much for listening, and uh, I'll talk to you all soon.
let's roll that outro music, shall we?